This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a shot Hello, Rich here. Um, I just wanted to say a few things before this episode starts. Firstly, a big thank you to Stephen Derby for agreeing to take part in this episode and for being so generous with his time as well. In the year and a half I've been doing this podcast, I've been blown away, as always, by the generosity of my guests. As you probably know, in 2018, Stephen's life changed forever when he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and he's since then dedicated his life to raising funds and awareness. He co-formed the Derby Rimmer M&D Foundation. You'll see their logo on Town's amazing third kit. And I implore you to visit their website, which is derbyrimmermnd.co.uk, just so you can see what they've achieved in such a short space of time And also, hopefully, if you can make a donation, that will be great as well. So, yes, my thanks to Stephen, but also to the Swindon Town Official Supporters Club and Matthew from the Professional Footballers Association for their assistance during the pre-production of this episode. It was genuinely appreciated. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Stephen. Hi Richard, you okay? I am very well, thank you. And thank you so much for agreeing to take part in this. No, thanks very much uh, for having me on. I like to start 
with the same question I ask every single guest. I even even this bit is a repeat, if I'm honest with you. And that is, when you were younger, who did you support and who were your childhood heroes? So when I was younger, uh, or even now, uh, I was a Liverpool fan and still am. Funnily enough, my mum, my dad, my brother and the family, they're all Evertonians, so Derby Day can be a bit of a nightmare for them uh, <laughs> over the last few years, and obviously they're not too happy at the moment. So being a Liverpool fan, my the players that I looked up to were Steven Gerrard and, and Jamie Carragher, I think, as local lads and what they achieved at the club. Um, there's no better role models than for a Liverpool fan and someone being at Liverpool to look up to. I think your family hit rock bottom the other week in the FA Cup, didn't they? They did. <laughs> I'll tell you what, they weren't happy. <laughs> I watched the game with my dad and so yeah, he, he wasn't too happy, but mm. good times for, for Liverpool at the moment. Absolutely. Now, I've talked to a fair few Liverpudlians on this podcast and I always sort of emphasise that, you know, Liverpool, Everton, giants of the world game, especially historically. And to become a Liverpool player, no matter whether you play any games or not, is a tremendous feat because everybody wants to play football in Liverpool, don't they? What are your memories of growing up in a city which is football mad? It was great. It was brilliant. I say to be, I was surrounded by football from an early age. My dad used to play Saturday and Sunday a, a good level. So myself and my older brother Kev, we used to go and watch them on a Saturday and Sunday. So right from an early age, um, football was a part of my life and uh, obviously the families as well. So it was great as well that uh, at the time I had a season ticket for Liverpool as well, right through up until I was uh, 16. Obviously it was great that from eight years of age I'd, I'd signed for Liverpool and I was able to spend a lot of my time and a lot of my career early on um, coming through the academy as well. When did you become a right-back, though? Because when I played football at no level whatsoever, like most kids, I was a centre-forward and then was put at, <laughs> put at centre-back as soon as they realised that, you know, scoring goals wasn't my thing. When did you become a right-back? Uh, I think my story is similar to yourself. <laughs> uh, I used to play either centre-midfield or right-mid. And I signed for Liverpool, and when I was uh, eight, when I went there within the first few months, uh, I started playing right back. Then I had a few years where I played centre back for a little bit. Me, me and Jay Spearn, I think we were probably the smallest centre half pairing uh, at that time. But and then as I got older, I think more thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I spent. Uh, a lot of that time then playing right back and a new right back would be my position then. I was talking to your old teammate Charlie Austin recently and he was he's dead against children aged like eight in the academy setup. Do you think that's too young or I mean do do you think that's about right depending on how they're treated? Um it's tough to say. I don't think there's any right and wrong. I think if you look at the careers of players in, say, even in the Premier League now, you get a lot of players who have played, who haven't been involved at academies at a young age and who have come through. The likes of Jamie Vardy probably being the most um, the most recent where who's come onto the scene over the last however many years and from non-league and done well. But you also get the stories of players who have been involved at academies and they get the, the top coaching uh, the best coaches um, 
in in the country or even the world and you're training day in day out um i think obviously now i think they're starting them even earlier than what they did do at our age so i think even when we signed for Liverpool, seven eight nine years of age you still are training two or three times a week and then as you get a little bit older then it becomes maybe three or four times a week so it, it is intense but i think there are pros and cons i think as i say you do see players who have who've come to the academy and who are well academies and who are well class players and maybe they wouldn't be at that level if they weren't they weren't at the academy. But then you also see the other side where, you know, lads at a young age or you know, still thirteen, fourteen, fifteen and they may be burnt out from the amount of training that they've already had and they might fall out of love with the game because because of the pressures so early on at such a young age. So I think it's just finding that balance of, you know, developing young players and and also looking at them as people and still as as kids and they're still developing as as people as well as footballers. Eight years old is so young. Do you remember being scouted by Liverpool and getting that offer to join join the club? I do. It was we we were in a tournament in Southport. I was playing for um, the team at the time called Town Green, and we managed to win the tournament and. At the end of the game, uh, the scout, Ewan McCauley, who, funny enough, I ended up being coached by his son, Ewan as well, at Liverpool in the reserves. He um, he came over to, to myself and to my dad and mentioned that he was a scout from Liverpool and that uh, he'd like me to go for trials. So I remember uh, that day as clear as anything still today. And I think for myself, I wouldn't change anything. I think to have that journey of being at Liverpool from eight years of age right the way through the academy and the youth team, it was, um, you know, for me, there was nothing better to, to train, you know, as often as we did. We had the best facilities. We had the best of everything at the time as Liverpool was one of the first academies. So to come through at Liverpool and have the, the top coaches in the country and I say if not in Europe at the time, it was there was no better place to be um, an academy player. Yeah, and who were your coaches during your time at Liverpool, the ones that stand out to you anyway? Uh, there was a lot. So even coming through from an early age, you had the likes of uh, Stevie Anlin, um We had uh, Robbie Johnson. We had Paul Lever. And then moving on to the later ages and through to the youth team, we had uh, Dave Shannon, uh, John Owens and and Steve Highway. Mm. Steve Highway was the academy director at the time, and um, the what he instilled in in every player at the academy. I'm sure the ones that went on to have a career in football, they still look upon those models and those philosophies that they that they, they taught the lads. I, I was watching, even though it is the rivals Manchester United. I was watching the class of '92 the other day. And it's only a little segment of it, but they talk about the FA Youth Cup and they talk about it like, I, mean, I think Nicky Butt talks about that, his medal to win the FA Youth Cup goes alongside all of his major achievements because that's the first and that's the time where you might not win another medal in your, in your, in your football career. You won a fair few medals as well, but you won the FA Youth Cup two years on the bounce which is an incredible achievement given the sort of players that were coming through during your time and I remember this era of Liverpool for mainly because of 
the football game championship manager because a good few of you, yourself, Paul Anderson, and, and um, Adam Hamill, Craig Linfield, they were pretty good signings on, <laughs> on championship manager then. You win the first one in 2006, but in 2007, you beat Manchester United at Old Trafford on penalties. That must have been an absolutely unbelievable experience for you. Yeah, it was. Say to win it twice was was uh, was brilliant, and we beat uh, Man City in the first year. Beat them at the Etihad. I think they had like some Mika Richards um, player, Michael Johnson, and Sturridge when he came through. Yeah, so they had a strong side. So to beat them at the Etihad was brilliant, and more so that year. Um, Benitez was was manager of Liverpool at the time, and there was a lot of a lot of young young players being signed to go up at Melwood at the time. We were based down in Kirby, the youth team. Yeah, but there was a lot of young players being signed for the reserves as well. So there was a lot of competition. And our youth team coming through was probably mixed, obviously, from um, lads who were based at the academy and also some at Melwood who moved up or had been brought in. Uh, the Man United uh, final, that was, um, that was a special night for us all because... The, the group of players that played that night, we've been together since we were eight or nine years of age. So, um, you know, you're looking at nine or ten years where we've, we've been right through the academy together. So you form, you form friendships and special bonds and you're getting towards that age then where some players are being offered professional contracts and some players aren't. So some players are either going to have to move on to other clubs or, um, I would say, not play football again, have to look for a different career path. So for that to be our last game together was um, was special, and I don't think you would have you would have picked a better game to to beat Man United at Old Trafford. Yeah, for those listening, the smile on Stephen's face during that segment was from ear to ear. And though that Manchester United, you listed the Manchester City players, and the Manchester United ones. I mean, you had Danny Drinkwater, you had uh, Welbeck, you had James Chesson, even the goalkeeper Zeeler went on to win the World Cup, although as a reserve keeper for Germany. But you know, an absolutely well, very strong team, weren't they? Um, and you, of course, you were also capped by England at under nineteen level as well with a couple of your mates joining you um for i mean i i think football fans generally don't appreciate how getting an england call up at junior level isn't easy because there are just so many footballers aren't there that 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 go through that level so to get a call up again another box tick for you because you didn't represent them beyond like before that did you so you were coming at age at a good time to get some england caps yeah, it was. He said didn't represent them before that, and I think at the time as well, it wasn't really in my mindset or in my thinking. Um, I was more concerned about trying to do well for the youth team to try and move on up to the reserves at Liverpool, and then say perform and develop and improve as a player to then move up to hopefully have a chance at the first team. Um, to obviously get the England call it was it was special and it was a, a great moment, not just for myself, but. For also my mum, my dad and brother and the family because also the sacrifices that they make obviously throughout your career. It's also nice for uh, nice for them to see you represent your country just at any age. Absolutely it is. And I asked this question to the many guests I've had that have got you for all full caps is where are your caps right now? I've actually got a, a unit and it's got um say some of my medals over the years and, and, and the caps in there that have obviously that have accumulated even since you know, the youth cup and the reserves and 
and obviously me, me professional career. So yeah, that's here and there, yeah. <laughs> Good for you, because some of them say, oh, they're in a plastic bag at my mum's or something. I, as I tell them all, I'd be wearing mine right now if uh, <laughs> if I had if I had international. <laughs> okay, then. So, I mean, this this stage of the conversation is always sort of, it's not, it's not the part of the conversation that people tend to enjoy because I talk about that moment, like you said, that you've been with these guys for 10 years plus and then suddenly the team dismantles because only so many of you get professional contracts, but you were one of those lucky players. What was that experience like when, when you found out that you were moving to the next level? Personally, it was one of the best feelings because as you, I think... As you're getting older and you're reaching youth team and you're getting 17, 18, 19 years of age, you you're starting to get closer to what you've what you've dreamed of, and that's being a professional footballer and to say play for Liverpool or to have a career in the game. So to be offered a professional contract was it was massive because that meant you had another opportunity and another couple of years to to develop as a player and also to show the management at the academy and also at the first team that you, you you want to take this opportunity and that you d- deserve a chance. So I think I say just give you another stepping stone into into the right direction. And I think you realise how much hard work went in over the years just to get that first professional contract. And and that's the easy bit. The hardest part then is to, to get the next one and also to then try and say to make your debut. And, and even when you make your debut, you think, of how much hard work goes into that and to make that happen yeah that's the easy part the hardest part then is can you do it week in week out and, and have that consistency and, and nail down a place how did liverpool integrate you from under 21 or under 23 into the senior was it very gradual or was it like first day of school sort of thing where you're just in with all of these world-class millionaire footballers so at the time, the under-18s were based down at the academy in uh, in Kirby and the reserves in the first team trained at Melwood. So we had the call, there was five of us who, who made the step from, uh, from the academy in Kirby to then go and train with the reserves and up at Melwood. So, so that was brilliant because then you're in a... You, Training with the first team and you're, in a, you're training with the reserves, sorry, and you're seeing the first team train every day. You know you're in and around them, whether that's in the in the building when you're having food. Uh, they used to train half an hour uh, after us in the morning and half an hour before, so we had a chance to then to watch their training sessions as well. So even at that stage, when you're not training with them, you can still watch them and see how they how they go about um, their business day to day. So so that was brilliant and there was no better place to be in. Really. Mm. Do you remember the moment you're walking down the uh, corridor at Melwood and Stephen Gerrard or Jamie Carragher goes, all right, Stephen, how are you doing? Yeah, it was a scary moment. <laughs> um, I don't think anything can quite prepare for that. I think especially being a local lad and being a Liverpool fan, you know, to then be in the same, same, same building and to to then be trying to push for the first team place and to obviously then get the opportunity to train with them. It's, it is a special moment, but at the same time, you've got to realise that now this this is your job and um, you know, you've know got to be professional about it and you've got to then change your mindset from obviously then being a Liverpool fan to, to then trying to, say, do your best to, to get a first team opportunity. Yeah. 
I mean, over two years, you play seven times for Liverpool, but you somehow managed to play in pretty much every competition. You play in the Premier League, the FA Cup, the League Cup, uh, the Champions League and the Europa League. I think you play in all of them, which that will do me. No problem. You know, you go through 10 years. So many, regardless if it's Liverpool or Rochdale, Swindon, Bolton or Bradford, so many of the kids go through those 10 years and don't make it to play whole games for Liverpool alongside Gerrard, Torres, you know, Carragher, Javier Mascarano. That must be an insane experience. And when you got that call, when you're warming up, do you just expect all the other players to come on? And then suddenly they go, Stephen, come on, you're coming on. Or did you know you were going to play that game? No, I didn't know. I think uh, when I came on as my first game, I was in Tottenham away in a League Cup, came on as a substitute. Uh, we got beat that day. That was uh, 4-2. But, and I was on the bench uh, quite a lot. I think Rafa says. I trained with the first team quite a lot, so I think you could see, you know, he was watching me, he knew me very well alongside, um, you know, his, his, his coaching staff as well, so uh, it was great that he could put his trust in me and his faith in me and give me that opportunity. Um, when you do have the call, it's, uh, you know, I was so nervous at the time, to, this is what you've been waiting for, and to, to get that nod and to, to come on in the game was He's so nerve-wracking, but so special at the same time. And I think after your, after your first taste of being in the first team, you've then got to realise, right, well, I've had my first taste. Now now you've got to try and get on for the second time and, and try and build on that and, say, try and nail down a place. And that, that was the toughest part. And I think at the time um, when I was at Liverpool and even throughout my career, I always saw it as a failure that I didn't try and play more games and... I, I would always not beat myself up but it was always in the back of my mind that it would have been nice to be a little bit more sex, successful at Liverpool but I think having stopped playing now and you know what you've just said there we're playing in every competition and and looking back I kind of see more of an, of an achievement to actually to have played for Liverpool even though it was a handful of games it was still a massive achievement looking back it absolutely is a massive achievement. What are your favourite memories of playing for the senior team? I'd say my first game, um, Tottenham away, that was a, coming on in the in the League Cup. That was a, a special moment. Mum and Dad were in the crowd as well, alongside my uncle, so that was a great moment. I remember coming on a PSV away as well. That was in the Champions League. And myself and my close friend, Jay Spear and Lamar and Kelly, they, they both came on in the game, so... It was nice to be able to share that moment with those two as well. Uh, two lads which I've known for a long time and grew up with at the academy. It was nice to say to share that moment as well. And I think any time you put on the Liverpool shirt is is always a special moment. But you know, to do it with the likes of say Jamie Carragher and Steven Gerrard, the heroes, the players that you've looked up to. And as you mentioned before, the likes of Torres and these world class players to to get that opportunity to to play with them and you know to watch them day in day out and to to put on that red shirt with them was special. Final question on the Liverpool front: Who was the hardest player you 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 sort of marked or you were told to look after, and how hard is it? <laughs> uh, would that be while I was at Liverpool or in training or no? Um, well, either either or either. See, training day to day, I remember. As I was coming through and then training with the first team, you know, I was up against Ryan Babbler. And Ryan Babbler at the time, he was quick, strong, he was powerful. 
So playing against him day to day was was good for me, good for my development. So say turning playing for Liverpool, I only had uh, a handful of games for them, so probably difficult to pick one. But I remember at the time when I came on against uh, Tottenham, Gareth Bale was playing left back for Tottenham. And obviously, you know what what Gareth Bale's done in the game. Everyone knows he's such a one of world class players. But I think at the time that was when. He was playing for Tottenham and they were struggling for a win. I don't think they'd won in a while. He went on a spell where every time he played, he didn't win a game, didn't he? Yeah. So, um, yeah, managed to say play with and play against some uh, some top players. Yeah, what on earth were they doing putting him at left back? I do not know. They did it for years, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> Austin going in! Well, it was coming in the first half. It's arrived six minutes into the second. Okay then, so at what point were, was the manager or the management saying, look Stephen, we're going to look to send you out on loan? Was it all very quick or were they looking for the right club for you for a long time? Uh, it was all quite quickly, but it still had to be the right club. I think in the around the November to October, November, December time, that was when I had a couple, couple of games for, for Liverpool and then... Towards the back half of the season, uh, I was looking to then try and get out and get some some regular football and some experience. And I remember being down at Kirby and meeting Danny Wilson uh, at the academy. Danny, he came uh, he came up and so I knew then that I'd be signing for Swindon. And <clears throat> it was a so I was it was my first real taste uh, of league football. And I know it was only a very short spell, but. It was um, it was a, a great few months for myself and say also for Swindon and yeah it was a special time. So Danny Wilson must have really wanted you to drive all the way up to Melwoods to make sure you signed for us. I'm not sure about that. He might have wanted someone else and got stuck with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was great to great to meet Danny Wilson and you know from the moment I met him he was a um, he was a great great guy and I got on really well with him. He was also a a great coach, a great manager as well. And as you say, from the moment that he came up and the moment I spoke to him, I knew, I knew everything was right. Everything, I felt comfortable with everything. Um, and then, as I say, going down to Swindon and meeting the lads on the first day, I think it was great that I was going into a side that was that was doing well and that was up there in the league. So um, that was a, a special time. You're born and raised in Liverpool. So this is not just your first move, but it's, it's your first sort of experience away from Merseyside, really, isn't it? What, what do you remember of moving down to the sleepy borough of Swindon for a few months? <laughs> it was brilliant, and I think that's what it's about, you know, going out on loan and, and getting league football. It's not just about, um, you know, getting games and playing football. It's about growing up as a person as well. It's about, say, it's about developing and becoming an adult and, and that that short time that I was at Swindon certainly allowed me to do that. It was, as you say, the first time I'd moved away from home. First time I'd been cooking for myself and, and lived on my own. So it was, um, I loved it. But where I was staying, uh, Danny Ward was there. Matt Ritchie was there as well. Uh, Frank Noble was there staying in the same place. So, you know, you, you're not really on your own when you think of it. You know, I had those teammates who were going through exactly the same things as I was. So, um and also, you see, you've got the lads, um, you make friends within the team and 
the teammates they they really looked after us. Um, I remember on me, one of my first days, Michael Timlin, um, he left me a note on in my dressing room with his number and said if I need anything to give him a call and um, and that was brilliant and that that was what the club was about it was, and that's what the what was so good about that dressing room was everyone was uh, the team spirit was brilliant and everyone was pulling together. You arrive at Swindon as cover for Kevin Amankwa at a time where we are really cooking on gas and you come in there your debut is against Brighton which is you know weirdly at the time it was a bit of a grudge match for Swindon because it's only you know it's less than a decade after they broke our hearts in the playoffs and you play the full 90 and your first few get I mean the first half of your of your loan spell you are playing every minute of every game how did you find that because this is this is competitive. I don't want to go down the, the road of the football cliches because there were some really really great players in League One that year. You got, I mean, the Southampton team alone has great players who go on to play internationally, left, right, and centre. You've got Robert Snodgrass who's around that Norwich team, Jermaine Beckford, loads of great players. How did you find that? Because that's a, it's a different kind of football down in League One. It is a different kind of football, and it was. I remember you say my debut was against Brighton, and I remember finding it tough. I remember coming off after ninety minutes, and I thought, "So this, this is going to be tough." But I thought I found my feet quite quickly, and as you say, I remember playing in in the Leeds in the Leeds game away where <clears throat> we won three 0 That was a great day. When we played Norwich at home, and I think Gordon Gray scored a, a last-minute equaliser, and that was <laughs> I remember the atmosphere at the county ground. It was it was brilliant, and I said there was some some good good really good teams, some good players, and and that's what it's about when you're going on. You want to test yourself, and you want to play against the, the best players that you can. So for me, that short loan period to have say those games against Leeds, Norwich, uh, we beat Southampton away one 0 when Charlie scored as well. Uh, these were all all games that you want to be be involved in. They're iconic games for Swindon fans now. This is, you know, Swindon aren't blessed with season upon season of glory. So we look back at these moments fondly and, you know, 15 games for Swindon, but you play in four or five of Swindon's best matches of the decade. Sadly for us, they all came <laughs> in the first <laughs> few months. But, I mean, the very thought of beating Southampton away, the very thought of stuffing Leeds 3-0 at Ellen Road. And even, I mean, I remember, because I was living in Newcastle at the time, I remember that Gordon Greer goal going in and, and that was where the belief in that squad, it just, you, it, they suckered me in because I thought that was the year, if I'm honest with you. that. Let's let's talk about Danny Wilson as a manager because that that year he nailed it almost you know right up until the last game he seemed to just get that team working didn't he he did yeah he was a he was a great manager and he was a great man manager as well I thought especially for myself coming in and he really handled the lads really well him and Peter Shirley they were they were brilliant and so it was. I was only there for the the back end of the season, so I was quite fortunate that I was coming into a side that were, as you say, that were flying. They were doing really well, and you know it was quite easy for me to, to slot in there as well. And say Danny Wilson put his trust in me to uh, to come into the side and to try and keep that going. And we had Billy Painter and Charlie up front who were a handful for for any centre half pin in the leagues. And they say they both went on to to play higher up and Charlie's score goals in the Premier League. So 
to have those two up front at the time, it was, you know, it was great, and you know, we go into every game full of confidence. Let's talk about that 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 squad then, and you know, I know they're all good players, um, but we always like to hear things about behind the curtain. Two of the biggest pranksters in recent history within those changing rooms in Billy Painter and Simon Ferry. I don't think I would have survived in in football uh, due to the uh, the for the work that, for want of a better phrase, the banter that occurs in there. Were you ever a victim of anything during your time there? Do you know what? I can't remember anything where I was a victim, but as you say, the banter and not just Cy Ferry and, and Billy Painter. Yeah, Sean Morrison as well. It was it was brilliant, and as I say, for me to come into that dressing room towards the back end of the season was, and for that to be my first, uh, say first real taste of league football. I don't think there was a better dressing room that I could have gone into. Mm. What what makes it so successful? How does a changing room, and this can apply to your entire career, because famously for Swindon, the following season, the dressing room divided into various cliques and we got relegated and the players that have been on have given their reasons for that how does it just click is it just organic or does a lot of work go in that from the coaching staff how, how does that happen I think it's a mix of everything I think it's how the, the manager and the coaching staff uh, go about the day-to-day business with the lads and talk about Danny Wilson's uh, same man management he, he was great when I was there and I think you need characters in the dressing room and you need the right characters. And I think at the time, although I can only speak for the time that I was there, and, uh, that we had, didn't seem to have any egos. You know, we had Charlie who was scoring goals every week, we had Billy Painter. And these are the lads who were running themselves into the ground every, every Saturday, every Tuesday, putting the hard yards in. And I think that, no, we had the uh, Dougie in the middle. I see along with Cy Ferry, I had Gordon Gray at the back with Scotty Cuthbert and uh, Salem Seamus there as well. So you had uh, a real group of characters, but also lads who, who really wanted the best, uh, not just for themselves, but for, for the football club and for for the team. And when you've got a group of lads who are willing to to run through a brick wall for each other, then you know you you reap the rewards from that. Listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club. Your defining moment for Swindon occurs in your penultimate appearance for the club. Um, you come on as a sub in the first leg of the playoffs, a game that we should have won with at least a two goal cushion, but you know, there was a slight error and, and Dion Burton gets a, uh, gets a goal to make it, you know. There's an advantage, but it's finally poised. I remember going to into the game. I didn't go to the Valley, unfortunately. But I remember thinking that one goal wasn't enough. And it certainly seemed that way. But you started the second leg. Was that a surprise to you? Given that Swindon played really quite well in that in that first in that first leg. Were you were you expecting to start off the bench? 
Yeah, say Kevin played the the first game, and you know, in the time I was there, Kev was you could see the the qualities that Kev had. He was big, he was strong, he was good going forward, and I say he played the first uh, leg of the playoff game. So maybe if I was a little bit surprised, yeah, you could say that. But you know, as a player, you've always got to be ready, and say so I was um I trained well, and I was I was ready on the night. Now the second leg, uh, it's it's all going wrong for so long in that game. Cyferi scores his own goal. Mooney scores, and Gordon Greer is sent off. There's no way. This, you, if anything, you kind of. I remember listening to the game and thinking, if anything, it's going to finish four or five nil because it's just everything is going wrong. And then suddenly, an error by Charlton allows Danny Ward to score. Which was a lovely moment in its own right, wasn't it? Great moments. <laughs> and and then Charlton go down to ten men, and then suddenly, sort of, nothing really happens until penalties, doesn't it? It was one of those games where both teams kind of just don't want to do anything wrong and think they're just happy for penalties at that stage, weren't they? Yeah, I think as you just mentioned there and gone through the game, I think so much happened in the game and. You know, you went through every emotion possible. I think when it did get to extra time, I think both teams at the time didn't want to lose it, so both teams were happy for it to to go to penalties. Mm. And that's where we get to. So it's a, it's a it's a wonderful penalty shootout. To be fair to both sides, you know, Swindon Swindon's penalties are less convincing to start with than than. The ones that go in for Charlton, poor old Nicky Bailey, he blazes his well over. But the other, the other penalties are absolutely immaculate. And Fraser Richardson steps up to take his penalty, and he just puts it in postage stamp top corner. And that's when you come in. Four out of five for Charlton Athletic, but it's four out of four for Swindon Town. There's so many questions I have for you for this one because you're... I've got questions for myself as well. Yeah. Well, I think you're pretty much we've got the same thought process here because you're a footballer who scored one goal in their entire career in the cup, and this is your first taste of lower league football, and you're stepping up, not just stepping up for a penalty, but you're stepping up for the fifth. How did that happen, and why didn't you know if? Normally, that's reserved for your centre forward, isn't it? Or, or you're somebody who's at least, you know, possibly had a shot on target before. Um, that wasn't your job. So walk me through that. You're right. I think everyone was surprised probably when I stepped up. I remember I took one in the semi-final when I was in the in the youth cup against Southampton away. I took the the sudden death penalty and scored, and we went through. So that was the only real penalty I'd taken before that time, and. We did practice penalties in training, and then on the night when Danny Wilson comes from putting his penalty takers down, I remember Michael Timlin saying, Darbs will have one. And I just thought, will I? <laughs> and then my name was down for the penalty then, so I said, well, what penalty am I on? He's like, number five. So so that was it. And I think when it comes down to penalties, I think when you've got a group of players, some players who have maybe been in the game a long time, they may have had you know, bad experiences, so psychologically it might be tough to take a penalty. And for, say, fortunately enough for, for Swindon and for myself, uh, Nicky Bailey had, had missed his penalty and um, so I, I then stepped up and 
we always laugh about it now with the family. I remember my, my mum and dad were there with me, uh, with my uncle. And as the penalties were going on, me my uncle said to me, Dad, do you think he'll take a penalty? And my dad said, no, no chance. <laughs> and he said, well, he's walking up now. So we always laugh about that now. But as you say, thankfully, I was able to, to put the penalty away and we went to Wembley. Oh, absolutely. And I love how Michael Timlin's egging you on. He's not even on the pitch during that. He's he's an unused sub, so... I saw that, Tim's. Do you reckon if you were 28, 27, 28, do you think you're putting your hand up in there? Or do you reckon that's just, you know, youthful enthusiasm? I'd like to think so. Um, I did take penalties... Uh, when I moved to Bradford, took one uh, in a few of the cup competitions against Wigan, we had one Northampton. I did miss one against Arsenal. So even from then on, I did, I did take some penalties. Um, I think now when I look back, I say it's it's a lot different. I think when you're in that moment and at that time and the say the pressure, it, it is massive, but... I think you you want to step up and you want to do the, do the best for your team and if you feel confident enough that you can score the penalty then, then why not? What is that walk like? Especially when you're away from home and everybody wants you to miss. You're in front of you, to the side of you. They're all Charlton fans, so you're just like. Do, do they just blend? A lot of people say that just they just fade in, and a lot of people say like that walk suddenly feels like the longest walk known to man. What what was it like for you? It does it's a, it's a long walk and it feels like it's a lonely walk you know you you practice it in training you try and replicate what it would be like you try and do that walk say from the from the halfway line to the penalty spot but nothing can prepare you for for that moment when as you say you've got you're playing away you've got all the home fans wanting to miss um obviously the atmosphere the, the pressure of the penalty and, and, and the, the nature of the game. You know you know for the fact that if you score or you miss, then you might not go to Wembley. So you've got all that playing on you, but you've just got to try and block all that out and think about what you've got to do. And <laughs> thankfully enough, um, I did that. But even looking back now, everyone you just mentioned, you say the pressure, uh, that walk, it, it, is the, it is a long walk and it, it does seem like a lonely one. But, you know, those moments in football... They say the, it's a fine margins and <laughs> thankfully we're on the right end of it. Four out of five for Charlton Athletic. But it's four out of four for Swindon Town. If Swindon score this penalty kick, they are through to the Wembley final. Derby. Swindon are going to Wembley. Stephen Derby with the winning penalty. Swindon Town successful with all five of their spot kicks. And Swindon Town go through to the League One playoff final. Did you make your decision of where you were going to put the ball? Because, you know, if Randolph chooses that way, it's touch or go whether he's going to get a hand to it, isn't he? So did you... I'm saving that. <laughs> He's not saving that. No, um, I knew where I was going at that time, yeah, practising training, and I just thought, well, pick me spot and, and stick with it and just hit as, as hard as I could. And, uh, yeah, he wouldn't have saved that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. There's going to be a couple of moments where I blow smoke firmly up your ass and <laughs> there's there's 
I have watched that penalty shootout, especially at that time, I think I've watched that penalty shootout more than any other Swindon moment because the adrenaline of following it just as a fan from afar was insane. And I had it on Sky Plus for months after that. I used it to cheer me up after the Millwall game, you know, it was just... I mean, I thought you gave him the eyes because Randolph goes quite um, quite early, and then it's 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 one of the few from that game from that shootout that it's never in doubt. When it leaves your boot, you know it's going in because Amankwas goes close. JP McGovern looks like he's scuffed his. Even Austin and Ward said they're good penalties, but they're like, oh, you know. But your one was one of the only ones that was like, oh, it's in as soon as as soon as it left because uh, Randolph had gone the other way. Yourself. <laughs> I think if it goes the right way, he might have a chance of saving it. But uh, yeah, they did go quite early, so mm. uh, so that helped me. But even now, I still watch it back now and again, and um, it brings back uh, some fantastic memories. And was the plan to run straight to Phil Smith, or was it just like, what do I do now? What do I do now? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. What what do I do? What's just happened? And I think it was more relief uh, that we'd scored and gone through. You, you sort of become a mini celebrity in that time, you know, and that's what happens to penalty takers because, you know, I mean, you're sort of like one of the players in the away shirt doing the official poses for the photo shoot for the programme and you don't, you don't start. I mean, what's Danny Wilson's thought logic to rotate his right backs? I mean, Kevin Amankwa was a very... Very good play. He was very consistent, hard work, and he was in for this podcast. He was voted the decade's most underrated right back for Swindon, and I think that it's a fair a fair shout by Swindon fans. But to juggle these players at such an important time, especially one who's just been given hero status, were you expecting like I'm going to Wembley, I'm going to go and start, or was it like look, I'm going to probably play Kev for this one? No, not not once did I think that I was gonna start or start at Wembley or even walk straight into the team. And you just mentioned there, Kev getting the the most underrated uh or getting the award uh, that the fans have voted for and I think rightly so, because Kev was he had a he had a, a great career in the game and uh, even when I moved to Swindon, you know, I saw his qualities day in, day out in training and where every time Kev played for Swindon he always performed and done well. So I think that sort of made, might have been quite tough as well, the fact that I was coming into a Swindon side where normally if you're coming into a team, it's because the player in that position is not doing very well. Mm. But for me, Kev was he was doing well. I think he was performing well and uh, he was a great player. And uh, so the fans, um, the fans loved how Kev played as well. So I knew coming in that I'd have to really work hard and, and to be honest, I can't really remember if Danny Wilson really explained why I didn't play the final. But to me, that wasn't that wasn't an issue. It was more about right. Okay, I'm not playing, so how else can I help the team if I'm involved on the bench? And um, obviously, I did come on in in the final, but it was absolutely gutted that we just couldn't go that one step further. And that that's what it was about. And I think that's to have that the mentality to not. Obviously, to put the team first, that shone right through the dressing room, really, and I think that's why we've done so well. But just unfortunately, we couldn't go that one step further. Mm. What are your memories from that? Because that would have been your first Wembley final as a player, wasn't it? So, you know, you're at early twenties. 
you've won the FA Youth Cup twice, you've played for Liverpool, and then you're at Wembley, just by by virtue of the perfect move um, at the right, the perfect time for you. What what are your memories of playing in that? Yeah, it is. So I think you've said that it was the perfect move for me at the perfect time. It could quite easily have gone the other way. You know, if you pick a different club and you don't play as much or you don't have the that experience of um, you know the playoffs and getting to Wembley. Um, you know, to to get to Wembley with Swindon was it was it was unbelievable and so it was it was special because. You know, you go out on loan and you want to get games and experience and you want to help the club that, that you're going to and you want to be successful. But to actually achieve that and to get to Wembley was, it was great. But as a squad uh, and as a club, we were just devastated that we just, say, we just couldn't get that one step further. It was a heartbreaker. Oh, it's fantastic, as you can see, what it means to the to the lads and, and to the fans. It's, uh, it's great, but, you know, we've got to remember we've still got one more game to go. And um, it's going to be tough, but you know we're going to be confident going into that game. Was a move to Swindon the following season ever on the cards loan at all? At first, it, it was, yeah. Um, we did talk about going back, but for whatever reason, it it, it didn't materialise, and I ended up um, starting the season at Liverpool and so not really getting any opportunities, and knowing I had to go out on loan and. And then I had a, a move to, to Notts County a little bit later on in the year, towards the back end of the year and joined them. As I said before, I was living in the North East and as you rightly point out that you started the season at Liverpool and I saw you play at West Allotment Celtic where Newcastle United's under-21s play and I saw you play for Liverpool under-21s purely because you were in the setup. So I went to this game because Stephen Derby was likely to pay and it was Suso's first game for Liverpool and he scored a hell of a stunning goal in that and yeah. Sol Campbell played for for Newcastle I remember and I just remember watching this and just thinking the life of a professional footballer because a few months before you're playing at Wembley in front of a near sellout and now you're playing railings because that's what the Northumbria, um, Northumbria FA ground is it's 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 a non-league ground where you're leaning against railings with a bovril in your hand and then it's <laughs> And you've got Tom Ince and people like that all playing alongside you. It's just a remarkable sort of transition, isn't it? Going from one to the other. You must have been sort of chomping at the bit for the next experience, which, as you rightly point out, was uh, was Notts County. Yeah, you are. And I think it's tough when you're, you're playing, you're caught in between not getting first-team opportunities and, and also waiting for the, the a club or the right club to, to go on loan to or to sign for. And then, say, in between that, you do have the... The reserve games, which can can take it anywhere, and I think sometimes you're playing against season pros who are coming back from injury or getting game time. But more often than not, when you do play for the reserves, you're playing against lads you might have played with or played against for years. So that's why it's important to get yourself out on loan to to get that experience. You have two longer loan spells. The first one at Notts County, where it's Paul Ince that brings you in, I think. And then the second season, you go to Rochdale. And these are completely different experiences for you because they're both seasons of struggle for the team. You get loads of games in, but one is a near miss with Notts County and the second one with Rochdale is a relegation. And you serve under about a 100 managers in both of those (laughs) seasons. So that would have given you like... The real lower league experience, I suppose, 
than than maybe you know three months where you end up at Wembley but you know it's always good to get those experiences as well isn't it yeah it is and I think on with the three loan spells that I had I experienced everything as you said I experienced the highs of um, joining a club and being successful in the uh, in the playoff semi but then going to Wembley and losing then I had staying up on the last day of the season at Notts County against Brighton that was you know, to experience those pressures and what that dressing was like at the time when we were struggling was was something I'd never been involved with before. And obviously to move to Rochdale, we got um, we got relegated with a few games to go, and that was probably the worst experience of had in football. That was that was tough, and that was also in the, the last year of my contact as well. That I was at Liverpool, so I think you say for the three loan spells that I had, I. Near enough every experience that you could have, I suppose, with with a football club, obviously apart from getting promoted. So um I think that stood me in good stead really for when I did go and sign for Bradford, the fact that I had experienced um see some good times at Swindon but also the tough times and I think you do learn more in the tough times as well about about yourself and um that's the, certainly stood me in good stead. Mm, absolutely. Well, you moved to Bradford where, in lower league football terms, you enjoyed an incredible career and you achieved so much. That first season for you was unbelievable. Did Phil Parkinson, was he after you ever since we stitched him up at Charlton? <laughs> yeah, when I signed there, we had a, a laugh about that. We were talking about it, about the, see the playoffs. But I think when it's the first signed for Bradford, I, I wasn't a regular, so I would sign there in the summer and um, for the first couple of months, I was in and out the side, and for a short spell, I was on the bench. So it was hard, and I, I had to work hard and fight for my place. And when I got my opportunity, um, I took it, and so thankfully I, I nailed down the spot. And say so the first season, we we had some unbelievable games and some brilliant games to get to Wembley mm-hmm. um, in the League Cup final. Was was something that you could only dream of, really, and. I think at a time where Bradford were have been struggling over the last few years, and to I think that really galvanised not just the football club but the city as well. Yeah, the final didn't go to plan, of course, against Swansea. But on that road to Wembley, I mean, you beat Arsenal, you beat Aston Villa, just just an incredible run, wasn't it? It was. It was unbelievable, and I think the first game in the League Cup was in Notts County away. That was one of the first games of the season. And I think then we played Burton as well. We mentioned that was my only goal the week of the year. <laughs> and then as you're starting to get through the rounds, obviously um, you come up against like to Wigan. We beat them on penalties next extra time. And then I think we also played Watford as well. We, we were getting beat 1-0 by Watford and ended up coming back 2-1 uh, very late on. So, And then they say to, to beat the likes of, of Arsenal and Aston Villa, um, especially Aston Villa over two legs, they were they were great nights and nights that I think every everyone involved will, will remember. You were always a bit of a nuisance when playing against Swindon. It was kind of fifty fifty, I think, in the results sense. I remember you having a blinder for for Notts County against Swindon in our relegation year. It was just months after you left Swindon. Um, nice one, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that game. I think Matt Ritchie was playing. Uh, I was up against Matt, Matt Ritchie at the time, and, and remember, I remember speaking to Danny Wilson afterwards as well. And I always find it strange playing against club. Well, I find it strange playing at Swindon. That was obviously the first 
Um, first time I played against a club that I've been at, so it was strange. But um, I always felt going back to Swindon as a player, whether it was at Notts County or or Bradford, it was always a tough place to go to. And I always felt like I, I never won there. It was always always difficult, and uh, so yeah, it'd be a tough place. Mm. Well, your your first season at Bradford ends with finally that Wembley win. So you know, fight third time's a charm. Eh? Yeah, it is, and it was nice to to finally get a win there when we went. And I think what was good about the League Cup, although we although the final didn't go our way and it was uh, it was tough. I think coming to the playoff final, we knew what to expect and we knew what what it was about. You know, on the day. We we didn't go out there and, and take photos of the ground because we'd already done that in uh, the few months before. So it was just turn up and concentrate on the job that we had to do. And we had Naki Wells and James Anson up top, who um, you know throughout that season caused uh, not just teams in our league but also the Premier League sides in the cup and caused them endless problems. And um, the game was over within half an hour. Your second season, there's no crazy massive cup exploits, but you win player of the season, which is always a really, really great achievement because 46 games is a graft. But I imagine you're one of those guys that are more about the team and not the individual. Am I right? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you never really think about the individual awards and right from the start of the season, you're thinking about, you know, how you can help the team and help the club and think of the, the ambitions of the club as well. So, you know, to get those awards and to win the player of the year was, obviously it was nice and it was nice that the fellow teammates have voted for you, but ideally you'd, you'd swap that for, say, any any team accolade, really. Mm. There was one other major event at Bradford that obviously I'm going to cover, which was the FA Cup fourth round in the 2014-15 season, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, 41,000 there, Chelsea playing Oscar Drogba, Mo Salah's playing, Cahill Czech, no, you know, I think their centre-back partnership of Zuma and Christiansen are really the only two areas of inexperience. They bring on Azard in that game, they bring on Fabregas, they bring on William Wallace still winning. You're 2-0 down, you're 2-1 down at half-time, and then just the most insane, never-to-be-repeated sort of comeback that absolutely shell-shocked Chelsea and your captain that day as well. There's no way at 2-0 down you thought, now nah, we're still in this, lads, come on. No, I say 2-0 down. I think uh, they scored from a set-piece and then there was a mistake as well in the, the middle of the pitch. So we knew even at 2-0 down that we were playing quite well. I think we... Obviously, you knew how good Chelsea were being one of the top sides in Europe. So, but at the same time, we, you know, you're there to to try and win the game. We didn't just go to to make up the numbers, and we were still playing well even at two 0 down, and we were still, uh, say, getting in amongst them and creating some chances. And Steady scored right at half time. It was a great goal on the day. Steady was unplayable. I think he was involved in three of the four goals, and that gave us a chance. I remember in the dressing room at half time. We were saying that we needed to believe in ourselves, and that you know there was an opportunity to, um, you know, if just to get the equaliser and get back in the game. And I think having had the cup runs a couple of years before, um, I think that gave us belief as well. You know, we knew that we, uh, we could 
on our day that we knew that we, we could actually cause sound staff saying that we knew we could cause teams problems and say second half it was uh, it was incredible was that a coach home or a plane home yeah uh, that was a coach home that one so that would have been a good one huh? a lively one yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know i think for three seasons you only missed one league game didn't you 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 were on a real good run of form games wise and then then in your last season, you sort of play half, maybe a little bit more than that, and then a move to Bolton. Yeah, I think I played. Um, I was lucky that I didn't really. I kept myself quite fit. Uh, I think say the game that I missed, I uh, got two yellows and got sent off against Sheffield United at home. So I missed uh, Bristol City away, I think it was, and then played the rest of the games really for two or three years. So, um, and then the last year, um, Sean McCall came in and. I only featured for, for half of the games and I knew that was the last year of my contract as well and I knew that I wouldn't be signing at Bradford and um, eventually signed for Bolton. When you play like three seasons pretty much without well, missing just one game and a manager comes in and you go from not playing like, you go from playing every week to being dropped essentially how how tough is that do you ever do you not I mean there must be an element of ego at that stage where you're going are you kidding me I've been playing every game for the last three years come on I'm Steve Darby <laughs> I wouldn't say that no I think you've, got to, you've got to be realistic and know when a new manager comes in that he's going to have his own ideas and he's going to want to say he's got his own players and his own squad that he wants to pick so and you quite early on that um, it was going to be tough for me to play uh, I think Tony McMahon was playing at the time and then he picked up uh, an injury and I came in and played uh, you know, 20 odd games uh, that season um, so it was still good to get that amount of games because I knew really that I wasn't first choice at that time so I think you've got to be realistic and realise what the manager what the manager wants and at that time I don't think whatever I did that I was going to get in the team um, so you just got to try and be professional about it and go about it the right way and train as, as well as you can and, and do what you can to support the team and uh, so that's what I did That takes us to where we are now doesn't it so we know what happened the diagnosis and you stood up in front of your teammates for Bolton and you said I've got motor neuron disease, which is which instantly tells me what sort of guy you are because I couldn't have done that. You know, I would have been let my agent do all the talking and then coming to terms with it slowly but surely. But, you know, you're a stronger guy than me in that respect. You've talked in depth about your diagnosis. And I think anyone listening to this knows what you've had, what you've got and what, what you've been going through. And if you don't know, I suggest that you that you uh, Google it because there's loads of good interviews with yourself within that. I'm no expert in this and I'm not a journalist, so I'm not going to try and try and get those sort of questions from you. That's not, that's not what I'm here to do. But what has amazed me is how proactive yourself and Chris Rimmer have been in your diagnosis. I mean, the Derby Rimmer MND foundation was formed, like I said, alongside Chris Rimmer, who was, who served in the British forces prior to his diagnosis. The foundation was created to raise awareness and also to fund and assist research that will one day hopefully cure this and raise funds and grants for those with motor neuron disease and provide that crucial support network as well. And I think that's just as important, isn't it? Just to be a community as well. 
given the circumstance, you must be so proud what you and Chris have, have managed to achieve in the last few years. Yeah, I'm very proud. I think see, when I was first diagnosed right from the start, we we accepted what it was and just tried to be positive about everything and uh, one way of being positive and to, to fight ahead on was to set up the foundation and Chris was a big support for me right from early on from diagnosis so we said that we'd do it together and I say I'm very proud in, in what we have uh, achieved so far in setting the foundation up And but we couldn't have done that without the support of, of everyone no more so than our families and friends you know, the support that they've given us has been incredible but also the support from uh, the football community as well you know from like the game that we had at Bradford against Liverpool that was that was huge and you know the the awareness that that brought and the money raised will, will go to help and support uh, individuals and, and families battling MND and see the support that we've had from from Bolton as well um, and also from Swindon I know uh, Robin Deller from Imagine Cruise and the support that he's shown in terms of um, no donating the the money that's been raised from selling the the third kit and to put the the foundation sponsor on the on the kit. It's it's that type of support that it is really overwhelming and we can't thank everyone enough because you know we can say that we want to set the foundation up, but then we need that support to to push it forward and we've had a tremendous amount of support and uh, as I say we're we're so thankful and so grateful for everyone. And it is a nice kit, isn't it? It's a great kit, yeah. Very good kit. <laughs> Did you see the cues for for those three hundred shirts? Yeah, it was it was ridiculous, and you no, know, never seen anything like it. And it was, um, I say, that's just the that's why I want to thank everyone for their support. I think people were queuing from the early hours in the morning to to get a shirt. So, um, you know, we can't thank everyone enough for their support for buying one. Yeah, absolutely. And you recently, as you've said there, returned to Swindon Town as a guest of the official supporters club and you got to see Phil Smith again because you were both signing the the Prince. Uh, the Great Western Reds created that TIFO with your night name and number on the back of their shirt, which was going across the Don Rogers. It was probably the best result for you on the day as well, because we're not going to pretend that you, you, you're not... You're not uh, Bradford leaning given the amount of years and uh, and and accolades that you achieved with them so uh, I would say although the game wasn't that great a 1-1 draw was probably the best one for you no? I think it was for me yeah, for it to be a draw but I think a draw was a fair result on the day as well thought Swindon played well in the first half an hour 40 minutes but I uh, thought Bradford come on strong second half so I say a draw was uh, probably a fair result but it's great seeing both clubs do really well both clubs are up there and Hopefully, uh, come the end of the season, to uh, be both to uh, be both in um, the automatic places. Derby Rimmer keeps you so active, and I guess that's that's really important in 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 the I don't for want of a better phrase the just dealing with the situation, isn't it? So I mean, Derby Rimmer keeps you're so busy, and you're, you're always doing something, aren't you? Yeah, and that's that's good. I think. Uh, say we wanted to try and look at things with a positive outlook and, and do the best we could and the, the foundation allows myself and allows Rimmer to do that mm. I think we want to try and make a difference and 
and help with say supporting individuals and families or the money raised going towards research. I think it's important that we do everything that we can to to hopefully say one day find a treatment and a cure and say the foundation certainly certainly keeps me busy and say that's only a positive. Was it nice meeting up with Phil Smith again? Phil, who's been on this podcast as well, was it Was it good to meet up with him again? It was, it was great, because I haven't really seen him, obviously, and I couldn't believe that it was It was 10 years since um, since I was last down there. It didn't feel like 10 years at all, but it was It was great to see Phil, uh, so catch up to see what he's been up to over the, the past few years, and obviously to talk about the, our time at Swindon, it was, uh, it was nice to see him. Nice, and we'll close always... On a, a on a nice Swindon related note, when when you think of Swindon Town and where it stands in your career, what what are the things that immediately pop up? Well, it would have been my first real taste of league football, and see the time that I had there. Although it was short, it was a it was a great time, and still look back on it now as one probably one of the best moments that I had in my career. Um, I was lucky to join such a such a good club and I felt like when I joined there it was a real family club and you could sense that there was a real togetherness with um, not just the players in the dressing room but also I think that that relates on to with the fans as well um, you'd really sense uh, the atmosphere was, was brilliant and so it was a real, real family club so I look back on my time there with, uh, with great memories Well on behalf of many Swindon fans Thank you for that moment at the Valley. You've you've definitely given a good few thousand their favourite Swindon memories of the last 10 years by putting that never-in-doubt penalty past Randolph. And thank you also for what you're doing with Derby Rimmer, raising awareness. It's something that not many people know about and it's, it's getting out there more and more every week, every month, every year. So thank you for that. And Stephen Derby, thank you for appearing on the podcast. Thanks, Rich. Thanks very much for having us. Appreciate it. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. It's a grand old team to play for, and it's a grand old team to see. for Charlton Athletic but it's four out of four for Swindon Town if Swindon score this penalty kick they are through to the Wembley final Derby Swindon are going to Wembley Stephen Derby with the winning penalty Swindon Town successful with all five of their spot kicks. And Swindon Town go through to the League One playoff final.
Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.